0: episode of the of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. Chill ride, chill vibes. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Uh, be safe no matter what you're doing. If you're out and about at beaches or whatnot, maintain the, maintain the six feet and, you know, just keep it like kindergarten. Don't touch anybody. Don't touch anybody. Don't touch anything. Whatever. So I was just going to jump right in here. I got Sean Kennedy on the line again. Uh, He was so nice, I had to do it twice. And speaking of twice and things related to twos, we're talking second-round picks. Sean wrote a piece this week on why the Sixers need to be way better with their second-round selections this draft more than probably any other draft the last four or
1: five years or whatever. And uh, yeah, Sean's on the line. So, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well, Adio. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, yeah, it's I'm a, it's interesting the the recent history with Sixers second round picks. Um, in my mind, when I I started to uh, think about writing that piece, I I, I kind of had it in my mind that they've really been awful. But uh, yeah, the uh, the Brett Brown GM collaboration in the 2018 draft, uh, he actually did a really good job. So it's been very hit or miss depending on what front office decision makers are are at the controls for the Sixers in the last uh, eight years or so.
0: So let's just start with this right out of the gate. There might be some misnomers about what a second round pick actually kind of means for a team. It means different things for different teams at different portions of where they are, whether they're rebuilding, trying to contend, or they're contending based on the, I guess, the only word you could use is failure of the 2019-2020 season. What stage are the Sixers in in terms of their second-round picks? Like, how, how important are these picks this draft compared to other draft classes?
1: Well, I think they're pretty important because they, you know, they just got swept by Boston and they need all the help they can get, clearly. And, yeah, it's great that the Oklahoma City pick finished as high as it possibly could That's With a plus. <laughs> at, at 21st overall getting getting a top 20 protected pick at 21 uh you can't ask for much better than that and uh yeah so with the tobias and al horford under contract uh and everything and all their young stars under contract as well they're capped out so it's not like they're going to go into free agency and be able to get a real difference maker they'll have the exceptions available to them to get you know maybe one or two guys to to come in and help Uh, but there's not going to be the big swing in free agency this year that they've had in the past few years so they're they're just going to need to try to find help on the margins and a big way to do that is obviously through the draft and with them having four second round picks uh, they could definitely find some guys that could help them out next season and two of those are the 34th and 36th overall. So those are two spots where they clearly there will be plenty of talent still available on the board. And then even, you know, later picks in the second round that we saw last year or uh, two years ago, um, rather, when Shake uh, Milton was selected in the 54th overall slot. So even when you get down in the 50s, you, you might not think there, you might think, hey, they should just draft a, a Euro stash or something. There's really not any Contributors available at that stage of the draft, but you know, just two years ago, they drafted Jake, and this year he was starting in the playoffs for them. So, even as you get farther down in the draft, you, you still have to uh, trust your talent evaluators, and you know, hopefully the Sixers have the right talent evaluators. I, I mean, that's still an open question, but you know, we we got to roll with what we have, and we do have four second round picks, so. Maybe they can make the best of them, hopefully.
0: This is how I always equate, you know, the second round of the NBA draft. And I equate it to pretty much any round of the NFL draft after, I want to say, round three. At that point, you're just kind of looking for depth and kind of bodies. And if you hit on some first round talent, that's, that's great. That's incredible. Is that a fair, is that, is that a fair parallel to make there?
1: uh it's it's fair in the sense that a lot of times you don't know quite what you're getting and yeah it makes sense to draft a little bit more for need in the second round and in the later rounds of the NFL draft than when you we have a first round pick a lot of times you might draft just for pure potential and just the overall talent versus like uh we we, we don't really have a spot for him right now because we have this veteran here but in a year, that's not going to be the case. So let's just get, <laughs> get the best overall guy. So yeah, I don't, I don't, it's a little different with NFL just because it's a 53 man roster versus, you know, a 12 man active roster. And the NFL has so many more positions where you got a lot more holes to fill. And the NBA is really, it, it equates to who has the best like eight guys where the NFL, that's not the case at all. So um yeah, it's it's a little bit of a different animal, but it's still, yeah, you're right in the sense that as you get later in the draft, it's definitely not a sure thing. And we saw with the Eagles this past weekend, they just cut Sidney Jones, who was a second round pick for them a few years back. I guess that would be kind of the equivalent of getting rid of Fultz for shipping Fultz to Orlando, just like cut, <laughs> cutting, cutting a, a sunk cost and just realizing that it's not going to work out and just going in a different direction. Um but yeah, that's uh, it's not it's not quite apples to apples. But yeah, it's you know, but in both cases, you don't know exactly what you're going to get when you get to that stage of the draft.
0: And and I think that's important to point out. Like you don't know what you're going to get, but at the same time, like you said, the Sixers have two of the first six picks in the second round. You never know what's going to happen. Like some first round talent might slip out of the twenty to thirty range. You might be able to scoop somebody up. Um, we've seen in the past. You know, Malcolm Brogdon was an early second round pick. Um, he's, he's an all-star, sort of. <laughs> but then there are other, like, good rotational guys. I was pretty big on Kyrie Evans when he was available in the second round. The Sixers drafted him and then shipped him to Detroit. I just said, what, what, what's going – what are you doing? Don't, don't you need
1: guards? Come on. Kyrie Thomas. Um, Kyrie Thomas, you know, Kyrie I Thomas. Think I'm sorry. You're mixing up Kyrie Thomas and Joan Evans who I, were – to both guys that they traded away in back-to-back years
0: it's like we all we all have a pretty good idea what the sixers might want to try to do with 21st in the first round like there's a lot of desmond bain people on the soapbox for that guy but in in the second round like there's there's gonna be stuff there like let me just ask you yeah. how how much do you trust elton brands like elton is doing this like he's the guy now he's in charge so how much do you trust him and his talent evaluators or are they if it's the same guys from the the if they're still like colangelo's Cal- cronies then i i have no faith in that whatsoever there's just, and i'm afraid they're gonna sell off those early second round picks
1: i don't have any faith uh, <laughs> as as things stand um it's You know, I try to maintain an optimistic viewpoint, but given the track record, it's not great. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, we can start with Elton. So he was the the guy last year, and apparently he's, you know, the the lead voice now, whereas it was team collaboration last year. But, uh, yeah, you can't feel too great about their draft performance last year. Um, We all love Matisse, and... I think getting him at 20th overall is is very good value to get a guy who is already one of the better defensive players in the league, I would say. And he's he's still developing on the offensive end, but he was definitely a guy who they could uh, play in the rotation during the playoffs. So as a rookie, that's really good. Um, Especially, you know, in the late first round capacity. Um, But he, Elton that is definitely got played by Boston where he, telegraphed his desire to draft Theibel. And as a result, Boston having the 20th pick kind of uh, intimated like, oh, we might draft him. And if you really want him, then you got to give us the 33rd overall pick along with that uh, 24th pick that the Sixers had. So they basically lost a 33rd overall pick just because they weren't capable of having subterfuge or like throwing people off the scent by bringing other guys into (laughs) workouts and talking them up and saying like oh we don't we have no idea who we're gonna there you know a lot of good guys available we'll see what happens like that's pretty gm 101 like don't i would hope elton has learned his lesson from that yes uh so hopefully he has um but yeah not not great and uh yeah the second round was well he lost the 33rd pick as i just mentioned the 34th pick, he actually did a really good job, I thought. He basically ended up getting a three for one, where he traded that pick away um, and got Atlanta's second round pick this year and uh, a couple, uh, the 57th overall pick, which they later traded for uh, Miami's second round pick in, I think, 2024, and also got the most favorable of uh, the twenty. 20- 23 second round picks between a few different teams so he he ended up with atlanta's pick this year is very good i I think it's that's the 34th pick they have this year that's 34 yeah so he got the same pick this year that he had last year plus picked up two future picks so if you're going to trade a pick away that's a really good job of getting uh just picking up two picks for nothing essentially um but then he traded the jonathan simmons uh plus the 42nd pick to washington just for cash which It had minimal value getting 1 million guaranteed on Simmons's contract off the books, but really that was just a cash dump. Um, That was probably driven by ownership. So not great there. And uh, we talked about uh, this on the uh, talking about podcast last week, but in regard to the Mariel Shayok selection, yeah, it's the 54th overall pick and uh, you know, you're not expected to get, a great player there. Obviously it's very hit or miss and you never know what you're going to get at that stage of the draft, but they all reports were that they drafted check because he was willing to sign on, on a two way contract. And that was the reason they took him there. Um, Whereas uh, we talked about on last week's pod, Lou Dort, the guy that's, you know, shutting down James Harden. Oh my God. (laughs) Until they they went down to the wire in game seven. He was a guy that fell as a potential first round pick fell all the way out of the draft entirely. And then within uh, a few minutes of the draft ending, OKC called him and signed him to a two way contract. So clearly he was willing to get a two way contract. So why not uh, target him with the 54th overall pick versus a guy like Shayok, who, you know, he's, I don't want to say anything bad about him, but he doesn't look like he's a, a real NBA talent based on the the limited sample size we've seen. I, I hope, you know, he has, he has some skills, so there's still time, but Yeah, it's overall just not as incredibly encouraging first draft with Elton at the helm. So we'll see what he has in store for his his follow-up here.
0: I I like the concept of the G League and two-way contracts, but sometimes I just don't get the feeling that the Sixers really do it the right way, if that makes any kind of sense. They draft some of these guys like Shayok, for example, and, you know, if you stick him in the G League for, you know, one, two seasons and just, like, let him get seasoning, then that should be fine. But I don't know how I feel about the the, the push and pull. You know what I mean? I, I do feel
1: like they could s- swing for a little more upside with with those uh roster slots that they have there. I feel like they kind of play it safe, and they, they say, hey, this guy has this one discernible skill. Yeah. So we want him, like we could see how he could eventually fit a role, but the guys they use for those positions, they're they're never guys that like, oh, if everything breaks right, like this could be a, like a real potential starter type player. Um, and he's just super raw. And we need to figure, figure out like how to teach him everything about NBA basketball, but he has just all the raw talent and potential you could want. Um, they, they don't really seem to go that avenue and maybe that's because they are a team that you know has their two main stars already in house so they're like hey we need guys that can fill roles behind them down the road in like two to three years so that's what how they're viewing it I don't know but yeah like they they never seem to go after like I know I know Bulbul wasn't a two-way contract guy but he did play a lot in the, in the G League a little bit and uh, after he was taken in the second round but i'm I'm just talking about like that type of player like, exactly if everything breaks right he could he could really be a force in the league they, they they think like oh, if a few things break right, he could really be like an eighth guy in the league
0: not and you talk about bowl bowl and I'm just gonna go back to like some sixers history, even with not necessarily these guys specifically, but like guys of this type, you talk about like the raw uh athleticism just needed to puts one or two things together guys like you know jakar Sampson or like kj mcdaniels or like players like that like they have raw talent they have upside they just have to kind of figure out what those one and or two really good things are
1: yeah it's it it hard definitely harkens back to the uh, early process days and uh i i kind of wish they would Keep some of those philosophies in place as they progressed in the. In I know I know most people don't like him, so so I hate using the phrase, but it, it kind of fits in this instance the uh, the process to progress mm-hmm. stage of the uh, Sixers era um, where they transitioned to all right, we're a winning team now, so we need to operate like a winning team and get these pieces in place to uh, you know help us. At, Maximize our value in the present. I just wish they had kind of like straddled the two errors a little bit better and said, "Hey, yeah, we do need to, you know, bring in some veteran help for our stars because we are ready to contend in our estimation." But uh, with those like fifteen man roster spots, let's continue going for those high upside guys a little bit. You know, I I, I feel like they could have done a better job in that regard.
0: And we say this a lot with how the process to progress, how that shift kind of happened. Really, <laughs> it was almost like it was piecemeal together with, you know, duct tape and bubble gum, and it still feels like it's still
1: kind of that. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not because they're still young. Like really, when you think about it, Joel and Ben are still pretty young. They're not quite. They're in the early stage of their prime, but especially Ben has, you know, it's still a lot of runway to develop his game. And yeah, it was like overnight, like they traded away uh Covington and Dario for Jimmy. And it was like, all right, we're ready now. Like this is what we're going to war with as a as a contender. And they went they went from the young upstart, like fun loving anything anything goes and you know, we'll see it's an exciting brand of basketball and we'll see how things go. And you know, it's all, we're all still like looking towards the future and it's all, anything in success is just gravy. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, we got to win a title. And that, that switch just like flipped really quickly. And I think the, uh, the, the change in expectations really was the kind of catalyst for people souring on the team when those expectations then weren't met.
0: I think it is definitely possible for a team like the Sixers who just shifted to contender mode and, you know, teams like, for example, Milwaukee or the Lakers or Golden State prior to this year, you always got the sense that, yeah, they're ready to contend, but they're still using some of these little pieces that they have, like second round picks to, you know fill out their roster a little bit especially in the case of golden state because they had curry thompson draymond and kevin durant all under contract so they couldn't really do much in terms of like free agency and the the sixers are basically in the same spot right now because of the huge contracts with tobias and al
1: horford for sure uh yeah i remember golden state was looking to like buy draft picks and i think one of the ones they they purchased was the one they used for Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell, yeah, and it's you know Jordan Bell didn't really pan out, and he's not like a terrific NBA player. But that was the kind of things they were looking to do because they said, "Hey, we do have these very expensive stars already on the roster, and we're not going to have a lot of space." I mean, there was the one year where there was the salary cap quirk that allowed them to get KD, and uh, but you know if that hadn't been the case, they would have had to say like. Hey, our top core of Steph, Clay, Draymond—that's basically the team, and we're going to have to run with that for the next half decade. And how else are we going to supplement talent if we don't have uh, a lot of cap space to bring in another top guy? Oh, well, we're going to have to do it through the draft and get young players in. And oh, there's teams looking to sell draft picks, so let's try to scoop some of those up. So that was um, that was the kind of light years ahead thinking that uh, Joe. Julia- Jacob and and Golden State were espousing and it's just the uh, sort of higher level decision making that has enabled them to be in such a great situation as a franchise in the first place.
0: I'm looking at tankathon.com because that's always been my go-to like ever since that was you know a thing that I was linked to. Um, So with pick 34 and 36 these are the players that are kind of in that range I don't, I don't know if you've done any homework i've done very little i'm just pointing that out to I'm, everybody right i'm definitely now.
1: not a draft draft Nick. like <laughs> i watched maybe a handful of villanova college basketball games and that was about it for my scouting
0: uh two names that are in that range are cassius winston and cassius stanley um the point guard from michigan state and then the shooter from duke and you know those are two guys that hey maybe they are not all-stars or serious contributors or anything but for a team like the Sixers that
1: lack guards you know that's kind of a, that's kind of a route they could go in yeah there's are guys that uh people have labeled as potential first round picks and that's the point about having those early second round picks is that some of the guys that uh people have in dis- the discussion for the Sixers at 21 there's every chance that one or two of those still might be available at exactly the of the second round. Like people are going to fall. It happens every year. Um, so the, the point is to be positioned to be able to scoop those, those guys up and get that tremendous value when there, there are those fallers in the draft. And yeah, even if, you know, they, they stand pat and, you know, they get a guy like Winston who, you know, isn't a, isn't a, a perfect prospect, but there's definitely some things that he can bring to the table for your team. And you, you bring him in next year and he's, there's not a lot of expectations because he's not going to be one of your top seven or eight guys, but he can, he can get some playing time as the year progresses. And, you know, you just see what you have. And if it, if it works out great, if it doesn't, you know, it's an early second round pick. It's not going to set your franchise back to miss on that pick, but you, you just want to be able to use it and, and see what you you can have. And it, if it works out, that's, that's all the better. That's like icing on the cake for you. I,
0: I look at those two guards and then I look at the Sixers roster and I think to myself, okay, would I rather have one or two of these young hungry-ish type dudes or would I rather put Furkan notwithstanding because he's definitely going to get serious minutes next year and until he's not here with the Sixers anymore. But the rest of the
1: bench from a guard perspective, it's just not there. There's nothing there. Right. Yeah. It's you look at like they bring in Alec Burks and he's suddenly their top like on ball creator, I would say. And in, they're not gonna the, be able in, to
0: resign him probably. Yeah,
1: in the playoffs. And uh you bring in these these young guards on on their as a rookie, it's like can they give you 80 to 90% of what Alec Burks gave you? Yeah, I mean, like, there's every chance that's a possibility. That doesn't seem like a crazy outlandish thought. So then you don't have to, like, not that they would be able to, because I think Burks is, as you mentioned, going to get a pretty big deal since he had a great year here. And ending golden State prior to coming here Alex, Burks, uh,
0: future future star <laughs> with the New York Knicks yeah, future it, overpaid
1: star with the new york knicks uh he he's definitely he definitely secured the bag somewhere, so yeah, we'll see where he winds up <laughs> um but yeah, it's so you have these guys and you can kind of slot them into that role and then you don't have to overpay for Burks because you say, oh, well, we're going to develop this young guy in a, in a similar role. And then you can use your mid-level exception or whatever you have available to, to help another part of your roster. So that's, that kind of gives you that security that you have a kind of Burks replacement in the wings and you don't have to like go all out to bring him back and then suddenly your cap situations even even worse off uh, a few years down the road then it would be uh you know I, uh, the sixers cap situation screwed as it is so but just like in the abstract just as a at how you would view roster construction
0: i i think the sixers should have two plans or two parts of a plan going into this next draft They pick at 21, and I've seen a lot of mocks where Desmond Bain goes 20 to Miami, and I think to myself, oh, God, I I don't want Miami to end up with another dude that shoots 40% from three, but then I also don't want Elton to do something crazy like trade up two spots for no real reason at all. But then there's the other part where it's just like, have a, have a plan. Don't have like one, like you were saying earlier, don't have one guy that you're zeroed in on. You know, take all the, take all the meetings, invite everybody to all the free dinners that you can, that you can afford, you know, just have bodies upon bodies in here. Like that's, that's
1: phase one. It's important to maintain flexibility and just have a lot of different avenues that you can go because draft night rolls around you're not going to know exactly how it plays out there's going to be surprises there's going to be curveballs thrown your way and uh, there might be a team that suddenly calls you and has a has an offer that you never even considered and you have to say like oh well maybe we can pick up this pick and trade down to 25 because we have a few guys still left on the board that we really like and we'd be happy getting any of them so yeah you just have to to be ready for any situation and um i guess this would be a good time to talk about like how do you feel about using some of these picks just to get off the horford and harris contracts
0: um i think i'm down depending on i don't know if i would give up 34 because i feel like that is too close to the first round where i'm just like okay somebody might fall like i'm looking through just like okay nico Mannion, he might fall to the second round I, I don't like the idea of them drafting another big man but isaiah stewart if he falls maybe that's something but if it's 36 might be a little bit more comfortable with that and then it also depends on what we get back for horford i've i don't know about you but I already have my mind prepared for like Al Horford to Charlotte for Nicholas Batum straight up, just (laughs) just just to get off of that deal.
1: Yeah, I brought that up in uh, last week's talking about podcast, and I I like that a lot. If they could, they could trade thirty six and Horford for Batum, and just you bite the bullet for one more year. Just call it a wash with Batum having the contract uh, for next season, and then then you're off it, and you starting in, uh, I guess that would be the summer of 2021. Right. That, that you just have some cap space to work with. I, I'd be fine with that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of at the point where I don't think they should package picks with Tobias just because as things stands, he's still your third best player.
0: Exactly. And he,
1: he still helps you a lot in the I, present.
0: I never liked this idea being floated that they should trade Tobias. Like, I get it. He's overpaid. He didn't have a strong playoffs. I get it. But he's
1: still the third best option on this team. Exactly, yeah. So if you have any point, if you have it in your mind that like, hey, this, we still want this team to be very competitive, then you have to keep Tobias around. Because any, anything involving a trade to send him out, you're not going to be getting a helpful player in return just because of how negatively his contract is viewed. So the only thing
0: you're the only thing you're getting back for Tobias Harris is probably another hyper inflated contract for a player that's not nearly as good as Tobias. So I would rather I would much rather go with the devil I know than the devil I
1: don't. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, but so I I think we're kind of aligned in that. But uh, definitely with the Horford deal, I would be okay with that just because. While Al is still a good player, and he can definitely help a team a lot, just with the roster that the Sixers have, there's such diminishing returns with him and Joel that he doesn't really help the team here in Philadelphia nearly as much as he would help someone else. Um, So just, I don't feel like they'd be that much worse off not having Al next year. Um, So I think they'd be similarly competitive while helping themselves greatly in the future, once that, if if you got a guy like Batum, who after next year they would be off the books entirely. I think that's something they should definitely look to do.
0: And and people are, and there are folks trying to say, oh, we can trade Horford to Sacramento straight up for like Buddy Heald or something. It's like, okay, I know that is probably the most inept front office in basketball. But I
1: don't even think they would do something that stupid, right? And Vladdy's is not there anymore, so Vlade's any, any there hope there of that anymore. is is out the window. There so. are no more. There's there are very few idiot GMs in the NBA now. Yeah, it's and and unfortunately, one one of the poor decision makers might be in the Philadelphia front office. So
0: I I, I do still have <laughs> I do still have hope that Mitch Kupchak in Charlotte is still kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah,
1: I. I one th- I, I, rem- I was looking back through my old tweets and from uh, before this season started, so it was the summer of 19, 2019, and I, it was right after the Terry Rozier signing, oh and it, I said, uh, well, as, <laughs> as frustrated as I ever feel about Philadelphia, all I have to do is remember that Charlotte is capped out with a lottery team so With,
0: they're <laughs> capped out as a lottery team overpaying for terry rochier overpaying for bismack biombo overpaying for whatever zeller they have because i don't know which one they have because
1: there's like eight of them they might have more than one who knows
0: oh my god <laughs> do they have both zeller? No, oh my no god they don't. It,
1: it's just it's yeah i think they, i think of the cody um but yeah so it can always get worse it is... can
0: always get worse y'all just just remember that exactly okay here's here's another question though i'll pose this to you since we're we're talking trades would you package 34 and 36 to get something back in the first round would you prefer the first round talent or would you prefer the multiple shots at something at someone that might be
1: i wouldn't have a problem with packaging up if if they identify someone and they say hey this is the guy that we really feel can be a difference maker and would be someone that we can see contributing this season um yeah that's that'd be fine in my estimation i i i I certainly understand the have as many lottery tickets as you can type philosophy where you want to take a couple couple different prospects and there's a better chance one of them pans out um but if you if you really have a good feeling about a guy and he's he's there at twenty six and you don't think he's gonna get to the second round, then do what you got to do to get him that's that's kind of the reason you uh, acquire all these different draft picks is so when you see a guy you want, you can make a move like that and I would say that's different than what happened last year with Matisse. This would be like getting a guy you wouldn't be able to get otherwise, whereas last year they probably could have got Matisse at 24 where they were already picking if they had had a little better like nuance to their draft process.
0: So here's the choice now. Would you rather take 34 and 36 to move back into the first round? Or would you rather trade 36? Because I, I don't think I would trade 34 under any circumstances. Would you trade 36 to get off of Horford? which would you prefer to do? Uh,
1: That's a good question. Um, I guess in a vacuum, I would prefer to trade 36 to get off Warford because I think that'd just be really helpful in the future. Whereas the difference between getting a guy at 26, if you used both picks to trade up versus you trade 36 away and then you just take somebody at 34, I don't know what the the difference would be in a guy at 26 versus 34, but uh, I think either way you're, you're looking at a imperfect prospect that you're not really sure how it's going to pan out. So you're, you're still getting a guy that could potentially help you, but you're really with, you're certainly setting yourself up in the future much better by getting off Horford's contract. So I think in a vacuum, that's, and not knowing like who's available there, and not really having the the draft knowledge of like who <laughs> who these prospects are, and which would bet best benefit the team. I would say getting Horford's contract off the books would be the priority.
0: With these second round picks, the the Sixers have a lot of flexibility, and I, I think they should be open to just about anything at this point to get the team back on some kind of footing. I'm not going to – I'm just going to say it. I'm a little worried now. You know, Embiid, he's got the new contrast. So he's going to be here for a little while. But you know what they always say. It's like at some point the, the player's going to want to leave. It always happens. So I, we have kind of a limited window here with these two. So I, we need to maximize as much as we can.
1: Yeah, with, with one of those late second round picks, what they really need to do is draft the next Justin Anderson who can be Embiid's best friend yes. and, and keep and keep him happy.
0: Yes. <laughs> find <laughs> find find someone from Cameroon. Just like that's <laughs> fine. It's like we don't care we don't care who he is, we don't care what position he plays, we don't care how tall he is, he's from Joel's home country. Like that we, we need something like that right now. Yeah. Remember, because for- I remember uh Embiid did really well or like his his demeanor was really good when he had like Mute, for the first like year and a half or so of his career like that was
1: that was great for him for whatever reason yeah I mean that was a mentor for him Mute was the guy who had the camp where Embiid was first discovered as a basketball player so I, that was an instance where it really made a lot of sense to to bring him in and be a, be a veteran mentor for joel um, but yeah they sh- for the for the wh- whatever pick they have in the 50s they should just bring joel in for like draft <laughs> interviews and say who do you who, who do you like the best who do you like, like? Who, who's your boy like who are you going to vibe with the most and and just take him at 50 whatever <laughs>
0: See, again, flexibility. Flexibility exactly. in the second round. You can do things like that. Right. Uh appreciate you coming on once once again. Uh any any big goings on for Labor Day? I mean, this podcast will be released on Tuesday, so I should say
1: what will you have done on Labor Day? Um and my in-laws, uh so they have a, a big family barbecue uh tomor- tomorrow on which will be Monday. Um so, you know, just uh eating some burgers, going little swimming, play some badminton, just uh americana. So, so Those distance, court. of course. Uh yeah, it's well yeah, <laughs> we're 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 at, we're out in central Pennsylvania, so there's there's a little less social distancing than uh might be the case around the city. Oh. I think they've had 3 cases total in this county since uh, all this started. Um but yeah, it's so uh, you know, just it's a it's a small group, so you know, meeting the uh what is the small gathering restrictions that are that are in place? So yeah, not <laughs> it's, nothing too it's like crazy. Like
0: 15 or something. I got, yeah, I it's like idea.
1: a 12 to 15 person uh, grouping. So yeah, nothing too crazy. But you know, just uh, supposed to be good weather. Just looking forward to getting outside and uh, playing. Just uh, enjoying the day with some family. You know.
0: Yeah, I was out at a Palumbo Rec Center uh, today, which would be Sunday um and it was nice four people for four half courts it had the whole i had the half court to myself just putting shots up there and, you go uh, it felt so good i hadn't done it in months so i was just i was just living i was living living life that's exactly. that's how it should be man oh my god <laughs> that's uh, beautiful. hurry up can we get over this already jesus i know <laughs> uh, appreciate the time sean and uh who knows maybe maybe it'll be a three-peat next week
1: Uh, well i'll I'll have to come up with another good topic then that's (laughs) that's gonna be the case but uh yeah all right so uh yeah man have a great one and a happy labor day weekend to everybody out there
0: enjoy your holiday everybody and uh we'll see you next time on the out of sight podcast once again 100 percent more sean kennedy is always good like i'm sorry he's 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 liberty Baller's royalty like i'm sorry like that's, that's just how it
1: is well, you're too kind, man. And, uh, <laughs> happy, happy to jump on the pod again. So, enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it, son.